what you're just kissing on the mouth. I just said hello. Can I kiss my sister on? And it's good enough for you. I don't even kiss mom on the mouth the way you kiss. All of a sudden, you're like a Romeo. So you're not supposed to kiss your mother on the mouth. That's what I'm talking about. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. How's that? That looks like something. There are many ways to describe Jake LaMotta in the film Raging Bull. He's a complicated man who doesn't seem all that complicated. He's a bully who's incredibly vulnerable. He's capable of enduring intense physical pain and yet dramatically sensitive to the most minor verbal slight. An athlete who yearned for his sport's highest honor, and when he achieved it, he went about dismantling his legacy and closest relationships, almost beyond repair. You don't have to like Jake LaMotta, you don't have to sympathize with him, but it's hard to deny he's a compelling figure. Many people know his name, but it's not necessarily because of his boxing career. There have been a lot of great boxers over time, and while the Bronx Bull was one of the best of his generation, it's not really his record in the ring that people think of when they hear his name. Jake LaMotta is well known because key moments of his tumultuous life were dramatized on the screen by filmmaker Martin Scorsese, who unflinchingly turned that violent, some might say tragic, existence into one of the most critically applauded American movies of all time. But how close did Scorsese get to reality? Lace up the gloves as we take a look at what the fuck really happened to this movie. Martin Scorsese was not actually the originator of the film project. While in Italy shooting The Godfather Part II, Robert De Niro read Jake LaMotta's candid autobiography, Raging Bull, and found it to be a fascinating story, one ripe for big screen treatment. De Niro gave the book to Scorsese while the director was shooting Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Scorsese wasn't originally interested because he's not much of a sports fan and he didn't want to do a conventional sports movie, but he has always been interested in the human condition, and he ultimately couldn't resist the story of a self-destructive brute who constantly punishes himself and those around him. At that time, Scorsese was battling his own demons, hopelessly addicted to drugs and self-destructing in his own right. After he agreed to make the film, his friend and Mean Streets co-writer Mardik Martin took a swing at the screenplay. Although it was eventually rewritten by taxi driver scribe Paul Schrader, Scorsese and De Niro did a final pass on the screenplay themselves, and in 1979 they were ready to get in the ring with Jake LaMotta's story. Most of Raging Bull takes place in the 1940s, when the real Jake was an up-and-comer known for his brutal bouts and the punishment he was able to withstand. But it went deeper than just his incredible physical ability to absorb those punches. LaMotta would welcome getting beaten. His subconscious told him that he deserved the hits he was receiving. I've done a lot of bad things, Joey. Maybe it's coming back to me. And he barely felt the pain that was being inflicted. In fact, when LaMotta helped train Robert De Niro before production began, he would encourage the actor to really hit him. The two sparred hundreds of times, according to LaMotta, who has said, I guess God gifted me with a hard head. Part of the real Jake's training involved sparring with his brother, Joey. Jake would goad Joey into punching him in the face and provoke his brother by smacking him around, which is depicted in the film. We see Joey wear a padded contraption that Jake actually invented to soften the blows to Joey's midsection. As the real Jake later revealed, he couldn't get anyone else to spar with him because of his imposing brutality. In the film, we see De Niro and Pesci reenacting these moments, and obviously De Niro learned about punishing punches from LaMotta as he broke one of Pesci's ribs during the scene in the boxing ring. When Pesci grimaces in pain, that's very much for real. Raging Bull is famous for its intense, bloody fight scenes. Scorsese took about 10 weeks to shoot these scenes, using a single camera instead of multiple setups, giving the sequences a harrowing sense. 
All the outcomes of the fights in the movie are accurate, and many of the big moments were taken from real life. This is best exemplified in the fights between Lamada and his ultimate rival, Sugar Ray Robinson. They fought six times, with Robinson winning five of them, some of those being controversial decisions by the judges. One that Lamada really felt he deserved himself was their third bout. He and his brother thought Robinson only got the win because he was enlisting in the army soon after, as the film depicts. In one of the fights, Sugar Ray is knocked outside the ropes, which was taken from a picture Scorsese found of the real fight. During their final clash, Sugar Ray unleashed a torrent of punches at Lamada in the 13th round of a bloodbath dubbed the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And yet, Lamada never did hit the mat, even though he lost the fight. One of the film's many quotable lines comes when Jake, after taking that pure beating from Sugar Ray, boasts, You never got me down, Ray. You hear me? But in the film's DVD commentary, LaMotta claims that was a bit of fiction just for the film, stating, I never said it. That is probably what I would have said if I did say something, but I never did. I had too much respect for Ray. So much respect that after their fighting days were over, the two became friends, with Robinson serving as LaMotta's best man, appropriately for his sixth time at the altar. In the movie, one memorable fight in Cleveland ends with a riot in the stadium with chairs being thrown into the ring and fights breaking out all over the place. This all actually happened. LaMotta even attested that they abruptly started playing the national anthem in a futile attempt to calm everyone down. One interesting way LaMotta got ready for a fight is shown in another memorable scene, where his young girlfriend Vicky gets Jake so aroused that he stops her from continuing and dumps a pitcher of cold water down his shorts. It is true that Jake avoided sex when training for a fight, because he said it made his legs weak. He was also known to pour ice water down his boxers to cool off. It was a ritual that he thought helped him in the ring. One of the darkest moments of Jake's life, in the boxing ring at least, came right before he was given a shot at the title bout which would have fulfilled his lifelong dream of being the champ. Back then, boxing was controlled by the Mafia. They called the shots in terms of who fought and competed for the title. However, Jake had no love for the local mob guys, and he didn't want their help to get a shot at the title. He wanted to do it on his own, but that was not meant to be, so Jake had to take a dive to a quote-unquote bum named Billy Fox. As seen in the film, Jake was clearly the better fighter, almost knocking out Fox immediately even having to hold up his opponent so he wouldn't go down. He had to encourage Fox to beat him, and the charade was pretty clear for all to see. LaMotta lost the fight, placating the mob, but the damage done by losing on purpose was severe, both to his reputation and his pride. Scorsese's depiction of the fight and its aftermath appear to be fairly accurate. A heartbroken Jake cries as his brother and trainers console him. According to Scorsese, he had read an account of the incident from a reporter who came into the locker room right after the fight. He saw Jake crying, while one of the trainers, who in reality was Jake's father, pushed the other reporters out of the room in disgust. The real LaMotta also remembered crying afterwards, ashamed for selling out to a lousy boxer. The consequences were greater than just embarrassment. The boxing commission suspended Jake for taking the dive. But LaMotta did get a chance at the title, fighting Marcel Serdan and beating him to become the champ. LaMotta remembers crying after that, tears of joy this time, so proud he was of the legitimate accomplishment. Not mentioned in the movie is the fact that Sir Dan evidently had a tear in his right shoulder during the fight, which you could assume had a major effect on the end result. There was supposed to be a rematch, but tragically, Sir Dan died in a plane crash before that could happen. Joey LaMotta was the intermediary between Jake and the mob, and served as his de facto manager. According to LaMotta himself, Pesci's portrayal of Joey was very accurate. That said, in reality, Joey was still a teenager in the early 1940s, while Pesci was 36 when he shot the film the same age as De Niro. 
while three years separated the real brothers. And while the relationship between Jake and Joey is the heart of the movie, one of the biggest ways in which the movie differs from the true story is embodied by the character of Joey LaMotta. The Raging Bull memoir, written by Jake and his childhood friend Peter Savage, did not feature Joey that much with Savage being a more prominent figure in Jake's life. Some of the things attributed to Joey in the film were actually perpetrated by Savage in reality. But when screenwriter Paul Schrader was brought in to work on the script, he felt adding Joey instead would bring a more compelling and personal arc to the overall story. The real Joey LaMotta eventually sued the film's producers for what he felt was an unflattering depiction of him. In the film, the other main person in Jake's life is Vicky, a Bronx-born model played by Kathy Moriarty, who was 17 at the time while the actual Vicky was a mere 15 when she met the 23-year-old Jake. The film depicts Jake seeing Vicky for the first time at a community pool, but in reality, he first met her at a gym. They married a year later, and the overwhelming jealousy Jake felt whenever anyone looked at her began to overshadow everything else in his life. Still, there were good memories to be made there, and the home movies of Jake and Vicky and Happier Times are the only sections of the film in color. This is surprisingly accurate. Jake really did have a 16mm camera that shot color film. After Jake became the champ, everything went downhill. As always, the boxer's subconscious told him that he didn't deserve happiness, didn't even deserve to live, and his all-consuming anger, coupled with a decline in his physique, meant a downfall was inevitable. You know what you should do? Try a little more and a little less eating. You won't have troubles upstairs in your bedroom and you won't pick it out on me and everybody else. You understand your wacko? You're cracking up. The real Jake was indeed abusive to Vicky, but the two remained married for 11 years, eventually moving to Florida after Jake retired. Vicky ultimately left Jake, unable to live with his instability, taking their three children with her. Those later Florida years, showing an overweight and down-on-his-luck Jake, are depicted fairly accurately in the film. He did own a nightclub, where he performed really terrible comedy. <laughs> Just want to see what the... Open a microphone on sexy girl. Sounds like. You know what it means to come home to a beautiful, lovely, gorgeous lady who gives you a lot of love, affection, tenderness. It means you're in the wrong goddamn apartment. In order to transform from 160 pounds to a stout 215, De Niro spent four months eating his way through pretty much everything, ultimately experiencing some of the more disagreeable side effects that come with being overweight. Scorsese was legitimately concerned about De Niro's health, even going so far as to cut down the shooting schedule so he could get De Niro finished sooner to start getting him healthy again. LaMotta hit rock bottom when he was arrested for pimping out a 14-year-old girl to someone at his club. The film shows Jake crudely kissing the girl and her friend, but doesn't portray the alleged crime. The real LaMotta maintained to his dying day that he was innocent of the allegation, but was thrown in jail for it regardless. And yes, he really did smash his hands against the jail cell wall. LaMotta later recalled that the wall suddenly represented every bad thing that ever happened to him, in addition to his own self-loathing, so he punched it until his hands literally couldn't take any more. As Raging Bull shows, in order to pay for his bail, Jake dismantled his championship belt to sell some of the jewels. In a bitterly ironic twist, it turned out the jeweler would have preferred to have the belt intact as it held more value. That really happened, as Jake begrudgingly admitted on the DVD audio commentary. 
Ah, it's so stupid. I should have kept the belt the way it was. It was worth more today than it was worth then. The last thing we hear Jake say in the film, after he finishes his rendition of the I could have been a contender monologue, is... According to LaMotta, he would always repeat this phrase to pump himself up before a fight. Shockingly, the first time the real Jake LaMotta saw Scorsese's movie was with Vicky, who he remained friends with even after all those years of marital strife. When the film was over, LaMotta turned to Vicky and asked, Was I really like that? You know, she said to me, you were worse. Despite all the beatings he took, Jake LaMotta lived to be 95 years old before passing in 2017. Even in his later years, he was always ready and willing to talk about his life, the bad times. That's entertainment. And the good. That's entertainment. Thank you for watching. If you like what you see, please subscribe to our Joe Blow Videos channel, tell your friends who like this sort of content, and turn on the bell to receive notifications for all our latest videos. We are an independent company, and we appreciate your support.